Greetings, Cove Church. Uh, so great to be with you. Uh, the title of our message today is The Tongue, Peace or Disorder. We continue our series, James chapter 3. Uh, by the way, just a little side note, our uh, James Life Groups are going really well. Shout out to our leaders doing such a fantastic job as we continue to move through the book of James also in our life group setting. I want to thank Pastor Aaron for um, this uh, softball message, uh, Taming the Tongue, especially on the eve of an election. <laughs> uh, how many know that when God is ready to do a work in your life, uh, wanting to change something so that you would begin to look a little bit more like him, he generally allows us to work that out on the anvil of experience. Maybe we would call it the anvil of testing. And so um, I can imagine how this went, this prayer time with Pastor Aaron and the Lord. Pastor Aaron says, you know, Lord, I need a break. Who should I ask to preach? Who needs uh, some practice in what they're preaching? And uh the Holy Spirit begins to think about James chapter 3 and taming of the tongue and immediately comes up with Brandon. Yep, I think Brandon's your guy, probably needs the most work, and let's put it on the eve of the most consequential election, the most hotly contested election that our country has ever known. So, true to form, uh, Cove Church in all seriousness, this has been the last couple of days of hammering some things out. Uh, some testing in Brandenburg's life concerning the power of the tongue. In fact, here we are in the Berg kitchen, uh, kind of dining area, and just last night, uh, this is um, not a stretch for effect, this is the truth just last night, our family had uh, one of those crucial conversations that maybe you and your family have had before, one where every word counted, all the body language, all the nonverbals, even inflection in the voice, it all mattered. So, uh, taming the tongue. The average person uh, knows about 27,000 words. I don't know if you realize this or not, but if you were just flipping through the dictionary, you would realize if you were to take the time to total them up, about 27,000 words, but we really only interact on average with about 3,000 of those words. Women uh, speak about 20,000 words a day, uh, to which all the men would say we're much better for it, of course. Uh, men speak about a third of that, about 7,000 words a day. And I heard one guy say this week, uh, that's because that's all the time that's left. Uh, there's something I think I know about you, Cove Church, and, and it's this couple things I think I know about you. Number one, you likely had the trajectory of your life altered because of something someone else said, good or bad. There's something else I think I maybe know about many of you, and it's this, that perhaps your greatest regret in life, that thing that you wish you could go back and undo, take back, not say, is something that you actually said. It's words that came out of your mouth. You kindled a fire. You dispersed some sort of poison into someone's life and you lost them maybe forever. Maybe it was a son or a daughter, um, you know, a brother or sister, maybe even your spouse. What's interesting is the Bible doesn't just tap around this issue. It kind of hits it right on the nose. In fact, we're going to find today that Jesus' little brother, uh, James, goes right after this idea of what comes out of our mouth in James chapter 3. And so what I want to do is give you our big idea right up front, give you my outline right up front, 
and then we're going to read the sum total of James 3. I'll make uh, a few points in our outline, and then we'll be done. So our, our big idea is this. Our big idea is this. The quality of your life is closely connected to the quality and content of your words. Let me say it again. The quality of your life is closely tied to the quality and content of your words. Our outline is this. The directional power of the tongue for your life. The directional power, the destructive, number two, the destructive power of the tongue for your neighbor's life. Number three, the duplicitous power of the tongue. And then number four, the decision you have concerning wisdom. It's a wisdom that's either godly or demonic. It's a wisdom that either uh, brings disorder or it brings peace. And as we read today. I, um, I don't have time. You'll have to go back and listen to weeks one or two. I don't have time to fully unpack uh, kind of the history of this letter that James wrote, but it would seem as we read through it, especially as we read chapter three, that James has caught wind of some things in the church that he doesn't like. There's some backstabbing going on. There's some jealousy, some hypocrisy, some selfish ambition, and he's determined that somehow it's hurting the church, it's destroying relationships, and frankly, it's torching people's lives. And so he goes right after it. He begins this way, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You can actually click up above uh, the notes tab and follow along. He says this, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly a verse that sends shudders down my spine every time I read it. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. The ESV says this, is able to control the whole body. This is a Semitic term that actually means our entire life. If we could just control our tongues, we, according to kind of Jewish thought, we would be able to control all aspects of our lives. I want you to think about our big idea. Verse three, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. A, a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. He says this in verse five, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. Listen to this. It can set your whole life on fire. Cove Church, James says your tongue can set your whole life on fire. Why? Because he says here, it's set on fire by hell itself. Again, think about, consider our big idea today. Verse 7, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, 
and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. He concludes this way. He talks about wisdom. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. I think it's implied here that James is saying, listen, that's a type of wisdom, but it's certainly not God's wisdom. In fact, he says, such things are earthly, unspiritual. Listen to this, Cove Church. They're demonic, he says. They're demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So again, our big idea is this. The quality of your life is closely tied to the quality and content of your words. The directional power of the tongue. James begins with this sober warning to teachers who would teach in the church. And um, what, he, what, he's, what I believe that he's trying to do is set up the importance of words. And he says somewhere in, in the economy of God, in, in, the, in the judgment of God, there is reserved almost this extra judgment, this stricter judgment for those who would teach in the church. And why is that? Because words are important. Words bring life or they bring death. They're powerful. We'll be held to account. One of the scariest verses, another verse that sends shivers up my spine whenever I read it, actually comes from Jesus directly. And he says this in Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Cove Church, think about that. Every careless word there'll be an accounting for. And James comes along and he says, well, there's that. But then for those who teach in the church, there's this somewhere in God's economy, this extra judgment on those who would teach, especially the gospel and teach in the church. And why? Because words are powerful. They're powerful in the direction of people's lives. And then James, as he does throughout Chapter 3, he relies on the metaphor. And he gives a couple here in this section, uh, a bit in a horse's mouth and a rudder on a ship. This tiny little bit that would move this powerful horse and a tiny little rudder that would would direct a ship, even in high winds, in adverse seas. Secretariat is commonly referred to as the greatest racehorse in the history of the sport. In 1973, he became the first Triple Crown winner in 25 years. In fact, his win at the Belmont by 31 lengths is considered by most to be um, the most classic race in the history of the sport. This powerful horse ridden, ridden by his jockey, Ron Turcott, controlled to, a little bit to the right, a little bit to the left, this powerful animal by a tiny little bit. Likewise, James says, a huge ship, even on high seas, winds blowing, this tiny little rudder is powerful enough It's powerful enough to to direct that huge ship many times larger than itself. 
And then he winds down this way, this section. He says, it's the same thing with the tongue. The tongue is, is smaller than the human body, and it's certainly smaller, friends, than the trajectory of your life and the destiny of your life. And yet, it can control your life. It can direct your life. In fact, James says, it can torch your life. Powerful. He goes on. He talks about the destructive power of the tongue in your neighbor's life and those around you. And he uses a metaphor that we're all recently familiar with, and that is a forest fire. And he says just the tiniest little spark can set ablaze an entire forest. The Holiday Farm Fire. Uh, I have a friend who uh, is in the Forest Service and actually attends Cove Church. And I've uh, been praying for him. He's been on the Archie Creek Fire and the I think it's the Thielson Fire. And uh, I've been asking him questions again, praying for him, kind of texting back and forth. And Joy and I actually had the opportunity to drive through uh, the the remnants, the destruction of the Holiday Farm fire this last week. We drove over to the Antelope area with some of our staff, and, and it was um, stunning. The view was st- sad, but stunning. We drove after home after home, foundation after foundation of homes that had been burnt to the ground, nothing but the concrete foundation and, and the, the concrete or cobblestone chimney sticking up out of the ground. And I asked, I asked my friend, I said, listen, how, how did, what, what's the official statement on how the fire started? And he said, well, there's no official statement, but here's what we know on the backside, that it was uh, the winds around Labor Day blew a tree over, hit some power lines, sparked maybe a transformer, it sparked these little sparks, boom, and, it's, and it torched over 173,000 acres, just one fire, uh, leveled over 300 homes, displaced all of those families. In fact, he told me that if we would have had a second day of wind, like we had the first day. We were supposed to have a second day when embers would have flown and we would have seen fires even out toward the coast. I said, you gotta, you gotta be kidding me. He said, no, that, that's the power of just a tiny little spark in adverse conditions. The destructive power of the tongue. And, and James, this is how he ends the metaphor. He says, listen, it, it, it's not only, it's not only the tongue isn't just a tiny little spark, it's actually a flame of fire. And then he says this, it's full of deadly poison. And then he, and then he ends this way. He says, it can set your whole life on fire because it's set on fire by hell itself. It's a target of the enemy and it can be used to destroy your life. Friends, I want to paraphrase this, and I don't think it's a stretch of the text. I think James, maybe if we were to reword this, I think James comes along and he says, listen, if you want to torch your life, pay no mind to what comes out of your mouth. Don't even, just say whatever you want, don't worry what what comes out of your mouth, and you will burn every bridge and every relationship. You will torch your life. He goes on to talk about the, the abject hypocrisy of the tongue, the duplicitous power of the tongue. And on this one, Church James kind of reads my personal mail. I'll speak for myself. I can just hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Brandon, you like to come to church and you love the worship music because it moves a part of you that nothing else can. I gave it to you as a gift and you open up your mouth and you bless me and then you walk out of church and you curse someone made in my image, someone that I love and that I gave my life to. And you have blessing and cursing pouring out of the same mouth. The metaphor that he uses here, again, the word picture is this fresh spring of water producing both fresh water and salt water. 
He goes on, he, he says, how about a fig tree producing olives? Absolutely not. And just for good measure, how about a grapevine producing figs? No way. And just like it would be just repulsive on a hot day to bend down to try to get a, a, a gulp of water, fresh water from a spring, and to just ingest a great big drink of salt water, James would say it's just as repulsive that we have blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth. In other words, you were built for one thing, not both. You were built to bless God and to bless others, made in His image. I wonder if there's been any more damage done to the church, as great a damage done to the church, than, than, than at the hands of hypocrisy. And James would say, I'll tell you what, on hypocrisy, just circle the power, the duplicitous power of the tongue that's resident in all of us. And finally, he says this, the decision that you have concerning wisdom, the decision you have, it's either godly wisdom or demonic. It's one that produces disorder or it produces peace. As is characteristic of James, um, it's like in the text here in James 3, he takes an immediate right turn. There's a little bit of, uh, a little bit of whiplash here. And uh, it's reminiscent of Proverbs in the Old Testament. If you've ever read Proverbs, uh, the writer, probably Solomon, he, you know, he's a couple of verses, he's talking about this topic and giving us wisdom for this part of life. And then the very next verse, it's some other entirely different topic, uh, but, but it's full of wisdom nonetheless. James is very similar, but I think there's some symmetry here in what James is saying. It seems like he's moved off of the idea of the tongue and moved complete different direction to wisdom but I think it's tied together, and I think you'll see that. He talks uh, uh, about, about wisdom, and he sets it up with a rhetorical question. I love it. Uh, one translation says, Are any among you wise? Who among you has wisdom? Well, who, who's going to not raise their hand on that one, right? Who wants to be left in the corner with the dunce cap on? <laughs> and so his readers uh, you know, are listening to this in their home church. They begin to kind of look around and raise their hands like, Okay, yeah. And to which we would begin to raise our hand, James. Yes, um, I don't have it all figured out, but I don't want to be left in the corner and I've learned some things in my life. So I'd like to be counted in that camp of wisdom. What's interesting about wisdom in the Jewish thought is that there are two things at least among a host of other elements of wisdom uh, that, that the Jewish culture would ascribe to wisdom. Number one, it's, it was a gift of God. N number two, Someone with wisdom, godly wisdom, understood that all of life was connected. Brandon, what do you mean by that? If you, if you were to read uh, what's called wisdom literature in the Bible, and many of you have Job, much of the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, what we find in wisdom liter literature in the Bible is that it, it hits on a whole host of things in life. Money, power, sex, relationships, family, relationship with God, our relationship with other people, our relationship with the earth even, our re relationship with animals. All of life is connected. In Jewish culture, someone who would be considered wise is someone who understands at a deep level that all of life is connected. And so just about the time that we finish raising our hands, James says this, okay, I see you in the room. Now prove it. Prove it. He says, prove that you're wise by living an honorable life and doing good works and do it with humility because wisdom that comes from God isn't full of pride. It leads to humility. And then James 
recognizes, it would seem, in his thought pattern. He recognizes, maybe stops and kind of stops writing, and he realizes there's a couple of different kinds of wisdom. There's an earthly wisdom, and then there's a godly wisdom. And he describes this earthly wisdom this way. He gives us the ingredients. He says it's, it's bitterly jealous. It's selfish. There's selfish ambition. There's boasting. There's lying that's connected with this. And, and, and he says that's not God's wisdom. It's a form of wisdom, but it's not God's. In fact, he says it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And then he says this, and wherever you find it, you're not going to find peace. You're going to find disorder. And not only that, but every form of evil. On the other hand, he contrasts it with wisdom that comes from above. And he describes this wisdom, this wisdom that if we'll adopt it, if we'll let it seek into our hearts, it will come out of our mouths. And why is that important? Because the quality of your life is closely tied to the quality and content of your words. Out of the abundance of the heart, Proverbs 18 says, the mouth speaks. And James says that this wisdom is pure than peaceable. And I want to pause right there. That word peaceable at its core, it's going to come up here again in a minute. That word peaceable at its core means this. It's peace between God and man and between man and man. Cope Church, listen, God is a God of peace. He's referred to as the Prince of Peace in Isaiah chapter 9. In fact, his inaugural message to humanity, you know, he kind of parts the skies. He sees some shepherds here and he says, peace on earth. You know, God comes in peace, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And James gives us the ingredients of this type of wisdom. He says it's pure, it's peaceable. He says it's gentle at all times. It's willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and it's always sincere. And then James ends our time today with one of the most condensed, condensed power-packed verses in all of the Bible. And as we unpack this verse, I'm going to read it to you in a couple of different versions so we get kind of the full impact of it. As we read it, as we digest a little bit, I want you to think about what we've been through in 2020. What we're walking through right now as a country, as a people, as a community, and what we stand on the precipice of, kind of staring us in the face on Tuesday, scoping it down maybe even further, what you're going through in your life, what you've been through, what you're going through. And what's on the threshold in your life? He says this, And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace. There's that word again, peace. And reap a harvest of righteousness. That word righteousness, it means this at its core. It's spiritual maturity. It's justice. We're seeking justice. It's living and doing what is right in God's eyes. Listen to it in the Amplified. James says this, and the seeds whose fruit is righteousness. In other words, there's a seed out there, Cove Church. There's a seed that when we plant it in the ground, it, it grows and it produces a fruit called righteousness, called justice, called spiritual maturity. He says that, that seed is sown in peace by those who make peace. And, and the, the Amplified says that that's by actively encouraging goodwill between individuals. Listen to it in the message finally. You can develop a healthy, robust community. 
Cove Church, you can develop a healthy, robust community around you that lives right with God and, and enjoys its result. And you can enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. I'll wrap up with this story. Uh, I was coming home from work a couple of uh, weeks ago and drove by uh, the neighbor's house and I noticed kind of a tiny little front yard and probably five or six yard signs. And as I got closer, I realized they were political ad signs and all of them uh, favoring some sort of uh, measure or candidate, uh, let's say with a D after their name and uh, maybe favoring the color blue. And I thought, okay, not very subtle, but sweet neighbors love them and it's good to know where they stand a couple of days later interestingly enough i was going for a walk and i walked past their house and then the neighbor right next to them i noticed a, a new flagpole right in the middle of their yard I thought, wow that's interesting and it was well done it's well lit and i could tell the top there were two flags the top flag was an american flag and uh, then there was a second flag, but the wind wasn't blowing, and so that flag wasn't unfurled. And, and I uh, wondered, um, you know, I was amazed at the subtlety of this as well, and I thought, I wonder what that second flag is. Sure enough, a couple days later, the wind was blowing, and both flags unfurled, and this is what I saw. And I wondered at that moment, if there was gonna be peace between these two neighbors come Tuesday or ever. And then the thought that hit me as I've thought about this more and I've, and I've walked past both homes is this really is a microcosm of the disorder and the division in our country. And friends, I think James would come along and he would say, listen, our decision to step up to the edge of God's wisdom and to embrace it for our lives is important because it does seep down into our hearts. And because Proverbs 18 is true, that that's our core and whatever's in our heart comes out of our mouths and that's important. Because our words, the quality of our life is closely tied. And James might even say it's directly tied. There's a direct correlation to the quality and content of the words that we speak. James might even say it's directly tied to the quality of your neighbor's life. It's directly tied to the quality of the community around you. And so Cove Church, listen, we have an opportunity this week, especially to plant seeds of righteousness, to be agents of peace in our community. And I want to challenge us to rise to the occasion. Bless you.